back to the Next Level Podcast. Uh, this week we have Melissa Fracker, the UW Superior Women's Softball Head Coach. Uh, Melissa Fracker, I, I usually call you Fracker, so uh, I'm going to try to call you Melissa more throughout the, the podcast here, but uh, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me, and everyone does call me Fracker, so it is 100% okay. Um, when I was playing way back in the day, if coach ever said Melissa, people would have no idea who that is, so it's just fine. Right on. What, what do your players call you? Um, either coach or fracker. Yeah. I just don't respond to Melissa and it's not on purpose. It's just not something I'm used to hearing unless I'm in trouble or like I'm in a family setting. So if they call me Melissa, it's just over my head. So sure. thankfully they've learned to call me coach or fracker. It's much better. Do you, do you prefer fracker to coach from your players or do you prefer coach or? It doesn't make much difference to me. Um, whatever they're comfortable with, I mean, it's, I have no issue either way. I don't think what they call me shows their respect for me. And I know some people are very particular about what they get called, but I don't think that is a form of showing if you respect someone or not based on kind of what you call them. So, yeah, I always kind of went back and forth with it, you know, especially when I first started, it was, I was really young. I was 24 years old and, and I kind of made a rule right off the bat that I wanted the guys to call me coach mm -hmm. and it wasn't because I felt like I needed that respect or anything like that. I wanted, you know, that separation a little bit. And I thought that was a way to maybe help just kind of create a little bit of that separation. And I felt like it was more so just sort of a respect to the program and the position within the program. But I, I always explain to guys, it's not me. Like I don't, I haven't earned that respect until we get a chance to, to really, you know, establish that relationship and kind of the formalities of it. But uh, I think it's just, it's interesting to me. It's it's different for everybody. And it's, I think, it, like you said, it kind of comes down to what, you know, what are you comfortable with? What are your players most comfortable with? Yeah, I had the same situation. So I started coaching, ooh, it must be eight years ago now in an assistant coach position where I played um, D3 in Connecticut. So when I first started to coach, there were players on the team that I had roomed with, like that I knew really well. So I think at first you're like, yep, I'm coached now, like, that's the line. Now it's drawn. Like I was like your teammate. I was your friend. Now I'm coach. So like there has to be that line. But then now coming here, um, I, there is no, you know, fracker the teammate, fracker the roommate. It's just a different, yeah, now I'm the coach. So I don't think that as a more mature coach now um, that I feel the need to have that separation so much as like you now in your years of coaching, you don't feel the need to have that line as much just because it, I think it naturally gets drawn the further we get away from playing and the longer we get into coaching. So, yeah. So we could, I mean, we could even take a deep dive into that, but first I, I kind of want just maybe for our listeners to hear a little bit more about you. Can you kind of go through your background playing wise, coaching wise, and just, I mean, even just personally, I mean, tell us about your family and just kind of where you grew up and, and we'll kind of start there. Yeah, sure. So I'm from Connecticut. Um, I grew up in Newtown, so small town, um, right near kind of New York, just to get an idea. Um, played at Western Connecticut, which is a D3 school, about 10,000 people. So not too big, not too small. Um, and I got to about junior year of playing. And I was like, oh no, like I have no other interests outside of sports. Like sports is about to end. What am I going to do? Um, and went to our coach, kind of talked to her and I was local, so local enough to be able to coach, thankfully. Um, so stayed on there from 2013 till 2020, um, 2020 kind of had that slowdown. I was a secondary education, I got into public education a little bit, not exactly what I was interested in. I just felt, especially in Connecticut, I can't talk to anywhere else. It was just much more focused on teaching towards tests and passing standardized tests instead of developing 
students, which ugh, to me, that wasn't exactly why I wanted to get into teaching. Um, so stayed in business a little bit, did the nonprofit route, um, was an executive director. It was called Danbury Powell, so Police Activities League. Um, and the purpose for us, especially in Connecticut, we had a big illegal immigration community. Um, and we found there that especially um, the illegal immigrants were not reaching out for help because they were afraid um, sure. to be deported. And they could come to the police and they could come to the fire department and they could get help and go to the hospital and not have to worry about that. So for us, it was a lot of trying to connect the community to the police through sports. So we had like 18 different sports and we had police officers that would coach and we had police officers that would like show up at open gyms and things like that just to start to build that gap. Um, and there's a bunch of different pals all over, you know, all, especially New England. Um, and every community is a little different, but that's a, what our community focused on the most. Um, so as an executive director there, which was fantastic because I got to kind of work my own hours. Um, and due to that, I got to coach as well. Um, and then kind of COVID hit and everything stopped, right? So when everything stops for the first time, you really have a chance to be like, huh, okay, like, let's take a breath. Like, what do I want to do? Um, an executive director, which is great, but it's fundraising and volunteers and board and this side what I want to do, or is the coaching side what I want to do? Because I love both. But here I am, right? I'm getting into my 30s. Oof, sorry, I said it. <laughs> um, what side do I want to go with? So I was like, you know what? I will never, ever forgive myself if I don't give this coaching thing a try. Because it was always in the back of my head. And always fighting against, number one, what happens if I'm not good at something I am passionate about, right? So as an assistant coach, it's a little safer, right? You don't know if it's you when you lose, you know, this. When you're a head coach, it's you, right? You take that responsibility as you should. Um, so what if I am so passionate about coaching, so passionate about softball, but I can't be a head coach? Who knows until you try, right? And then on the other side, it's just that once it becomes your life, do you love it as much, right? Because there's so much that goes on behind the scenes as a coach. Um, so once you really get involved in it and it's, you know, 25% coaching and 75% everything else, am I still going to love it as much? Um, so just those thoughts in my head. but. I knew I had to give it a shot and apply to a different couple places. And this was the one that I thought fit the best. And here I am going into my second season. So that is a long-winded answer to your very short question. So, <laughs> so you talked about, Melissa, you talked about the um, sort of the love of the game. And would you still have a love for, you know, for softball itself, a love for coaching? You know, to me, it's, I've thought about that same question. And it's not even so much would I still love the game or would I love, you know, coaching, but it was, do I have enough room for a, a true passion in this? You know, so whether it's, I mean, really specific to coaching and specific to the sport, but then do I have enough room for, for myself to be passionate about other things? Mm -hmm. You know, whether that be for me, some outdoors things, I mean, families in play, all that kind of stuff as well. You know, am I going to have just room enough in my life to really kind of like, take this full on and, and really be passionate and kind of be all in on coaching and coaching soccer and still have, you know, room for everything else. Or is that going to really consume everything? Did you feel that too? Was that a part of that equation? Yeah, I'd say so because I, you know, I was talking to a coaching class here at Superior for a little bit and just talking about how you got to take care of yourself. Right. So if you are all consumed at all times with one thing, like, are you really doing what's best for the program? 
Mm-hmm. If this is all I'm doing, all I'm thinking about 24-7 and not like burning those other passions that you have, is that really, can I stay ready to be able to coach and handle situations correctly and respond correctly? Um, you know, for me, I don't I love, love sports. I don't really have too many other passions except my family. Um, I'm going to be an aunt for the first time, which is super exciting. Cool. I can't Congrats. wait. Thanks. Um, but I think, you know, leaving my family presented a really unique opportunity because I went to college 20 minutes from home, right? I worked 20 minutes from home. I've never really left that nest of like my bubble. So I think to really take on a challenge of, okay, like I'm going to leave everything I know to go somewhere different. Can I do this? Can I make connections? Can I figure out like how to be me somewhere that I don't know anybody? As I got later and later, you know, and earlier into my thirties, like, let's try it. You know, I always say, what's the worst that happens? You know, I go back home with my tail between my legs and with my loving family still there, right? I mean, home's always going to be there, right? Exactly. So you got to like branch out and try their thing. So I'm not sure if I felt that yet, only because Wisconsin in the Midwest is still so new to me that I'm like discovering new things still. Sure. You know, like snow tornadoes. Yeah. So I think that's what is not is helping me not with burnout and then hopefully from discovering new things getting other passions outside of sports to kind of help me burn the candle at both ends instead of one end so just uh, kind of curious do you feel like sort of this move to the midwest here i mean obviously you're further away from family than you've ever been and i'm sure that there's at times there's a pull there do you feel like has it is it changed your relationship with your family at all for the better? Like, are there, can you think of any ways that maybe that's the case or is it just strictly, yep, I miss them being separated sucks, you know, but I'm, I'm dealing with it. I think it changed them maybe for the better because I was just like mama bear that wanted to take care of everything at all times. Like call me, I'll figure it out. They have to figure it out too. And I have an older brother and a younger brother. Um, so not like there's any like younger, younger siblings, right? We're all pretty close in age, but at the same time, like I can't be that safety blanket. So like, you got to get out there. My younger brother and I went to college together. Right. So, and we work together. So we have a pretty close relationship, but okay. Like time for you to grow and me to grow. And like, if you need something, I'm not around the corner. You got to figure it out. Yeah. Um, for me though, I do think it gets away from the crutch of, like I can be me however I want to be and figure that side out instead of being me that has been in the same place for 30 years. So I think that has been a good thing, but I think more growth without me there. Cause sometimes we want to control stuff and make everyone's like so perfect that really we hinder them. Right. And it's such a human reaction to want to make sure everything's okay, but they're okay. Like they have figured it out. They're all doing fantastic. Like I did not need to help them as much as I was and being that crutch for as long as I was. So I'm growing, they're growing. We FaceTime's an amazing thing. It's like I'm there, you know, every holiday mm-hmm. and everything. So technology the way it is now, I feel like I'm there. But at the same time, we've kind of grown into our own people, um, which I think is really important too, is you're kind of coming into who you are after college. So Yeah, I you know, anytime you leave something, whether that be, you know, someone or, or just a location, or you get away from something. I think of, you know, even, uh, within the sports world, when, when somebody gets injured and they're all of a sudden away from their sport, it's like, there's sort of this like longing for that sport then again, right. Where when you're in the grind of it, you don't really realize how much you love it until you have to miss it. Right. And I was kind of curious if that was the same, you know, to some extent, I mean, obviously, 
you know how much you love your family, right? And you know you're going to miss them. But, you know, I'm just curious if, if like, is there another kind of level of appreciation for family now that you've had to be away from them for the first time? I would definitely say so, but it's the same. So I go home in chunks. So over like Christmas break, I'll be home for three weeks. And then in the summer, I really try to go home for two weeks and take vacation time. So as much as everyone loves their family, you know, three weeks with your family is sometimes <laughs> a lot. So it's yeah. so funny after like that first week and a half, like, oh yeah, I remember this, you yeah. know, the drive. So I typically drive to Connecticut. It's just nice when you're home to have your car when you're home for an extended amount of time. So on the ride home, like, yeah, I can't wait. This is so great. And then on the way back, I'm like, yeah, my apartment, like my time. <laughs> so it makes me appreciate the time I have with them, but then also appreciate when I'm there, like my new life that I kind of have here too. So it's the best of both worlds. Yeah. No, I, I definitely get that. I'm laughing a little bit. It just, it, it reminds me of my family. You know, I'll, I'll go home for, for hunting season, you know, big thing in Wisconsin, nine days straight of, of deer hunting, right? And we have this tradition now amongst our family, you know, sort of a hunting camp type mentality, right? And it's like, it's almost by clockwork. You know, we get in Friday night, everybody's so excited. Nobody can sleep the night before, you know, so you get up early on, on Saturday morning, opening morning. And then it's like, okay, so now you haven't slept very well. And that goes on a couple of days in a row, right? And these people who you love so much and you've been so excited to spend all this time around, now you're spending a lot of time and it's like, you know, I kind of feel like I can take people in doses. I feel like I'm the kind of person that can kind of be taken in doses, right? We're all of a sudden a lot of me and a lot of these other strong personalities in my family and the lack of sleep and just all of it in a smaller household, all that, right? And it's like, usually by like Tuesday night or Wednesday night, it's one of those two. There's going to be a conversation that's going to happen at my parents' house where my brothers and I are going to get into it. And yeah. we're going to revert back to like the high school age, you know, just mentality and maturity level and all that. And it's going to blow up. And then an hour later, we're all going to apologize yeah. and it's going to be great the rest of the way. Yeah. Right. But it's like it needs to happen. Yeah. It's it's almost a, a part of the tradition like the Thanksgiving turkey is now. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like that fight has to happen yeah. and we've got to blow up. And then it's like we're all good. That's every family, right? Like it's, and that's the nice thing about family too, which I think you try, and I'm sure you do too, to bring to a team because it's reality the same way with your family as with your team. But like, yep, you're going to fight, but like, you're all coming from a loving place. Like, yep. Like we're sick of seeing each other. We're fighting with each other. It doesn't mean we don't love each other. Right. But it's, you have to, and it's kind of nice that for us, like the louder you yell, the more you get hurt. At least that's what I feel like. And it's not true. <laughs> but it helps me. So all of a sudden it'll be something so silly, right? It's not even a serious thing. It's like, who ate the leftovers in the fridge? Like I was going to eat that. And then there it goes. Yep. Like, Oh boy. Yep. Um, now we're never talking again. Exactly. And it's, yeah. And I think for the first time, and I'm sure it's the same for your parents. Like my dad appreciates the bickering that he hated growing right. up. Cause we were the same way growing up. And he's like, Oh, I miss this. Like, I don't have to hear it every day anymore. I don't have to hear it from the back seat. Like yeah. there it is. Yeah. There's my family. Like they're the same. They're growing. They have their own families, but they're always like going to be our family. So, and did your daughter go up this time? Cause I know one of your daughters is getting into it, right? Yeah. She's come with uh, the, the last couple of years. Nice. Yeah. And so it's, you know, this, this big blow up that happens, we usually kind of save it for after the kids yeah. are in bed. Right. So <laughs> they don't have to yeah. see their dad, you know, act like a immature 12 year old again. And they don't have to see their uncles. So they, you know, it's, it's all, I'll tell you who doesn't like the bickering, even a little dose of it is my mom. Yeah. Like mama Mooney is not having it at all. Uh, she would just rather we all get along and, and, uh, yeah. Um, 
but I think she's more every year now just kind of starting to understand, yeah, yeah this is going to happen. Maybe I just need to leave and not be a part of it for a couple hours and kind of let it, let it happen. So, um, all right, let's get back into the, in the coaching piece of it. Um, so, all right. So you were an assistant coach for eight years yeah. and then you, you came to Spirit was your first head coaching position yep. uh, in 2020, right? Yep. So great I time to start. Great time like, to start. Let's yeah. talk about that for a second. Yeah. How was that? I mean, so funny story. So I was an, a head coach in like a travel program for a while for those eight years that I was a head or assistant coach in college, which I think is the greatest thing I could have done because to me, until you're a head coach, you're just mimicking like what you've seen. Like you need to come up with your own thing, but us as players know what our coaches have done, right? So we take what we've seen our coaches do and we like mimic it. Right. But until you actually get to be a head coach and come up with your own thing, like you have no idea who you are as a coach. So I think. So I think it's sorry. Yeah, I think no, it's that. Please. Yeah. And I think the other big element there yeah. is making decisions mm-hmm. that actually have to stick. Yeah. If you make a decision as an assistant coach, yeah. it's like I'm going to bring this to the head coach. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the, the end of the day, it's yeah. his or her mm-hmm. call. Yeah. Right. And they have to live with the consequences. Mm-hmm. And as an assistant, like the consequences really aren't ever on you. Yep. Right. And I think that's such a huge element and such a just change in philosophy that as soon as you start making decisions and understanding that you are going to make wrong decisions, yep. there will be decisions you make. Not only are they wrong, but they're going to cost your team mm-hmm. and maybe individuals within your team. Yep. It's going to cost results. It's going to cost, you know, uh, inefficiency. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to train a certain way and it's not going to, it's not going to help, whatever. I mean, there is a, a big cost yeah. to some of the decisions that you're going to get wrong. And I think just being in that position is wildly different than being in a system. And can you build a culture that a team can flourish in? Right. Because again, as an assistant coach, you get to be a part of that, but are you driving that? Most assistant coaches aren't driving that, but again, talk about decision-making. Well, now not only are you thinking, okay, how does this decision affect the game? But now how does this decision affect the culture of my team too, right? You have to have, it's two hats because as coaches, of course we want to win. We're competitive. Why would we coach if we didn't want to win every single game? But you also have to have that team culture that people are buying into what you're doing. So if all it is, is you just want to win, 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 and you don't take care of this other side, well, guess what? There goes the culture side. But if all you're worried about is culture, and not winning, well, how are kids going to buy in then? So it's that kind of mixed bag of trying to bring it all together at the right time to make it work, which, again, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But it's not over till it's over as a coach, right? We know, like, we'll have a bad practice. It's like, oh, my gosh, like, everything I did was completely wrong. You're fall asleep. I'm the worst coach ever. You wake <laughs> up. You're like, all right, now I have a plan. Like, right. we're going to put this thing back together. And then the next day, you're like, this is why I coach. I love this, right. you know. Right. And that's just the roller coaster of season that the team goes on, that you go on. Um, but being that head coach in youth really made it. So when I was like, okay, can I be a head coach? And the person that I coach with at WestCon and that I played with, who we're really, really close, she's the one that I can call up and we can have a two-hour conversation about, this is what happened, what do you think? Which is so important. To have this was your head coach at WestCon? Head coach okay. at WestCon yep. that I played under too. Okay. Um, so really important to have that mentor. So I called her when I first got offered this. I'm like, do you think I can do this? Because like, I need to hear from you that you actually know what goes into it. You know where I am, who I am. Do you think that I can do it? She said, you can absolutely do it. 
So I was like, okay, she thinks, now do now, I believe? Did you have the, re- the relationship with her where you felt like, because, you know, if anybody asks yeah. me, you know, mm-hmm. can I do this? Like yeah. one of my players came in and said, yeah. you know, can I do this? I'm always going to say yes, right? Yeah. Like I'm not going to be the person to like kind of, you know, crush their dreams. Yeah. But I would find ways to maybe say, well, maybe you want to look at this instead. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like when you, when she said, yes, you can do this, was that, I mean, were you getting it straight from her? 100%. Yeah. She was never sure as much as I wanted when I was a player for her to maybe sugarcoat things a little bit. That's just not her as a coach. Yeah. And that I loved that about her. And honestly, it just made me a tougher person because go for it. Like whatever you're thinking I did wrong, you're like, I'm on board. Like, let's talk through it. Well, it may, it makes you a tougher person, but I think it also establishes that trust. Mm-hmm. And, and in the long run, it will establish more confidence. And, and I think this is something that coaches I see at times get wrong. I've gotten it wrong at times. Parents sometimes get this wrong where it's like, you want to instill this confidence. Mm-hmm. And so it's always positivity, yeah. right? And you don't ever give any kind of hard mm-hmm. truths. Well, then when you go to somebody and you ask for real honest feedback, if all they've ever given you is sort of the positive spin on things, are you actually, do you feel like you're getting the honest feedback in that moment? And so in a moment where you need that confidence Mm -hmm. to be built, Mm -hmm. you know, so this is a great example. I'm going to go to my head coach and say, can I do this? Mm -hmm. And it's like, if all along I've kind of gotten this half truth or just the positive spin on things, it's like, well, I'm going to expect that again now Mm -hmm. versus I've always gotten the straight answer from her. And I know if she says I can do this, that is sort of the beam of confidence that I need. That's what I think some of that just kind of like hard nose or, or kind of a hard truth kind of mentality gives to people in the long run. It doesn't always feel great. You know, it's not always going to give you the warm fuzzy when you walk out of the office. But over the course of time, it establishes that trust. And again, when you need sort of that that big kind of like, here's my moment, you know, jump in or jump out, line in the sand moment. There it was. Which is why I knew I have to call her and ask that honest question. And she's going to give me her honest truth. Of course, if I call anyone in my family, of course you can. You know, they should. Like, I need them to be those people. Because you have to have both in your life. Because sometimes you just want someone to make you feel better. And you know who to call to make you feel better, right? No matter what, you know, they are going to have your back. And they're going to tell you all the reasons that you're fantastic. And then you have those other people that are going to tell you the truth. And sometimes you don't call them. Because you're just not ready to hear it yet. Like, right. give me a few days and I'll call you to hear right. the truth. Um, but she's definitely my person I could call to, like, get the truth. Um, so when this opportunity came up, I was like, all right, like, I'm going to have this conversation with her. And then, you know, I talked to my family about it because their input's important, too. And I think just my younger brother looked at me and he's like, so you're going to turn down your dream job? Like, that's what you're telling me? Because why? Because it's 20 hours away from home. And I was just like, all right, that's, you're hundred percent correct. Like, right. that's, yeah. So when you put it like that, like yeah. you're not wrong. It's like, so you're going to get paid to coach a sport you love. After all these years, you're going to be able to live off of coaching when you've been an assistant coach forever. And you're going to turn it down because you are afraid to go to a new place. Like, all right. Yeah. That's pretty <laughs> simplified. But yeah, that's exactly what it is. So yeah, uh-huh. it came during... Um, COVID, which was definitely interesting. You know what? It was almost sort of, and I look at it on the bright side. I got to really settle into the office and get like my thoughts under control before kind of jumping into meeting every single person. Cause there wasn't really anyone in the office July, right. 2020, you know, right. there was a few people every day that I got to meet one, one at a time and develop those relationships rather than, you know, meeting every single person at all times. 
Um, so that was kind of nice. And, you know, funny story, I didn't get to see most of my kids' faces until our first game outside in April. So I looked at one of our pitchers, you know, Taylor, adore her. She's an amazing player. She was at third base. I looked at her, I'm like, Taylor, you have freckles. She's like, yeah, you didn't know I had freckles. I'm like, I've never seen your nose before. Um, so that's definitely something I'll never forget that, like, coming in and having to figure out I've only met them through Zoom, right? And then they come to practice, have to wear a mask the entire time mm-hmm. until we get outside in April and then get to actually see their faces. I'm like, wow, I'm like, I've never seen you guys. And try to figure out who's on your team from just like the nose up from seeing them on Zoom. Like, oh gosh, I think that girl's one of my players, but I don't really know. Sure. Like, I don't recognize her. I'm not sure. So it was a different experience, um, but I wouldn't trade it. I think it made it easier to kind of transition to a new place and get to know players more independently rather than kind of jumping in to get to know everybody all at once. And the 114 day schedule last year was huge for myself trying to establish a program. Um, Instead of just getting those five weeks in the fall for them to meet me and figure out our culture and then not really do anything until our season, I got to really develop as we went a little bit. And I think that also from COVID was a huge way to kind of come into a new position. So, yeah. So maybe we should just explain that real quick. Yeah. You know, so usually in division three, you have a traditional season, Mm -hmm. which soccer would be in the fall, softball in the spring. And then you have a non-traditional season, which is a, a five week. Yeah. You have 15 days of, of contact, mm-hmm. one date of competition in there. That's usually what it yeah. is for a fall or spring sport. It's mm-hmm. different for winter sports because they span both semesters, right? So, but for a fall or spring sport, that's how it works. Well, last year in 2021, right? So it would have been the, help me out here. It would have been 2020 to 2021. Yeah. 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 Dates are hard. Yeah. Numbers it's, are hard. Especially for, with yeah. that right in the middle. Right. There. Um, so the 2020 to 2021 season, uh, because of COVID and because everybody's season kind of got messed up, we weren't sure, are we going to be playing seasons? Are we going to have outside competition? Are we going to have championships? All that the NCAA came out and said, we'll do 114 days. Everybody's season. Basically you can get however you want to get it in within essentially both semesters, 114 days. So it was wildly different. I think a lot of coaches look at that. This could be a whole discussion at some point and say, we actually really enjoyed that model a lot more, but especially for you to yeah. get to know your players, uh-huh. it worked out really well. Really, really well. I got to work with them the entire first semester, right? So, and not even just work softball skills, but getting to know them. Because again, we talk about buy-in and culture. If you don't get to know them, why should they run through a wall for you, right? If you don't actually get to know them and to be able to coach them, you have to understand a little bit how they tick because there's some kids you got to pat them back. Some you got to kick in the butt. Some you got to make laugh. Like that's our job as coaches to figure that stuff out. There was no way I was going to do that in those five weeks. It was going to be impossible. And yes, we have leadership too, which I absolutely love. But even through leadership, it's more in a classroom setting. So it's so much less on a softball field. So just figuring out the kids, them getting to know me. And I know they're young adults, right? We call them kids, but they're young adults. And they have their own feelings and own personalities, which they absolutely should. So us just coming together as a team, those, the way it changed last year because of COVID, I think helped us just all get on the same page and kind of build that team dynamic. So, yeah. Okay. So did you feel like, was there more or less pressure in a year that was so wildly different than what most years are going to be like? 
Was there? I don't know. I don't know anything different. So it's, you know, is there pressure as a first year coach? Yes. But is there pressure, more pressure as a first year coach than second, third, fourth? I don't know yet. Right. I, I'll ask me next year around this time and I'll let you know which one felt sure. different. But I think there's always pressure that you as a coach want to get those results for the kids that are just busting their butts. Um, so I feel pressure in that sense that number one, what I'm saying and how hard we're working, like in the end, we'll have the results that they want. And it doesn't always work. Like it rarely works, right? There's only one national championship at the end of the year mm -hmm. for one person per sport in D3. Um, so it's, you don't always get those results, but as a coach, you just want, when you're telling them, yeah, we're getting up at 6 a.m., and do a workout because this is what's going to help us, you know, win games. Well, if it turns around and we'll coach, like we didn't win any games. It's like, yeah, but still it's really important. <laughs> right. like, I swear. <laughs> um, so I think there has to be some kind of results that helps the buying a little bit because we need them to get on the field and kind of trust that we know what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they make us look really, really good. And sometimes we make ourselves look really bad, right? When we win, it's all on them. When we lose, it's me. Like yep. I lost us that game. Yep. Um, so I, I'm not sure about the difference between COVID and regular season, um, but I'll be interested this year to kind of see the difference between first year and second year. So, yeah. So talk to you about first year. I mean, yeah. so obviously we talked a little bit about just the difference with the COVID year, mm -hmm. but then the season itself, yeah. There was some, I guess, semblance of normalcy there. I mean, you guys played, uh, you know, a regular season. And I think it was shortened a little bit a little in terms bit. of number of games. Yep. But you had a conference tournament then. Yep. Uh, there was an NCAA tournament, mm -hmm. which is only a reality for one of the conference teams to make it out and get into the NCAA tournament. Mm -hmm. And it just so happens we were that team, right? So right. talk to me about just kind of how that first year went. Yeah, so it was different. And we were kind of talking about this before, but we had – much more focused on conference than we typically do. So for softball, we can play 40 games and you usually play double headers. So you have 20 game days for 40 games. Um, and we normally in a year will do some kind of like a dome tournament. Then we go to Florida. Then we have like two, four non-conference games and then the rest is all conference, right? So to me, we talk about three different parts of the season. The first part is prior to our conference games. And that's when we can give chances to figure out what we have. Because I want to see how kids perform. I have no clue. You know, there's those kids that look amazing at practice, but under pressure situations, they have a harder time. There's kids that at practice, you're like, well, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, you know, bases loaded, two outs, full count. That's when they can turn it on. Um, so without those games last year, it was a lot harder to give chances because we played so many conference games so early. Um, so this year, what'll be nice is we can, and I tell the freshmen, you'll, the only thing I can ever promise you is a chance, whether that's an bat, whether that's running on the bases in the field, you'll get a chance. What you do with that chance is completely up to you. Mm -hmm. um, but as a freshman, you get at least a chance to show what you can do. Um, so with the way it's going to work this year, regular season, we'll have more chances for them to try things and see what we look like as a team. Because once we get to conference, I want to put my best team out there. Yeah. My best defense, my best lineup, know who our first hitter off the bench is, base runners and all that. Um, and then you get to kind of that conference tournament. So last year, I think we played four games before we got into our conference tournament or excuse me, conference games. So in those four games, you have to get your who you think are going to be your starters ready. Right. So there was not as much time to give out chances 
because your job is to also make sure that your starting lineup is as prepared as possible when they step into conference. Um, so that was a little different. Um, Do you feel like, yeah. sorry, I want to no, kind please. of take a segue here real yeah. quick. Did you feel like your players, did they buy into sort of that process of that kind of a season where, you know, it's the exact same way that I would build a season or that we have built our seasons where, you know, early games are in you and I both like we're competitive. We yeah. want to win every game. Yeah. We're not ever going out there just to experiment or, or ever obviously to lose. Mm -hmm. We want to win every single one. Right. But I also look at it as if we take some lumps early on that help us get things sorted out that are going to mean that we are at our best. Yeah. You know, I look at it as like, we want to get to like that hundred percent mm -hmm. level by the time we get into conference player for sure. By the time we get into tournament play. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, okay, if we don't give players a chance, if we don't do some experimenting early on, we might get to 80%, and that might be good enough to win some games, right? And, you know, and we might get to 80% right away in the season. It's like, we're going to make some decisions. Here's who's playing. Let's run with it, right? But if we go the other way and we experiment a little bit, it might mean some of those first couple games, we're operating like 50%. Yeah. But it means that we'll get to 80% soon enough. And we, we know the pieces that we have now for us to actually get to 100%. And so I look at it and, you know, I've, I've told our guys this at times, you know, if you look at like our schedule, yep. the first third of the season, if you look at our record, we're somewhere around, we're a little bit above 500. Mm -hmm. You look at the middle third of the season and we're somewhere around like a 600, 650 winning percentage. If you look at our last third of the season, our last like five, six games, something like that, we're at a 900 winning percentage. And it's like, so we take early lumps and there, but I guess my question is there have been times where I feel like our players don't necessarily buy into that, especially early on yep. at the end. It's like, they forget kind of how early things went, but it can be hard to keep that by. And did you find that at all? So the interesting thing last year is so softball in 2020 was canceled. I think they played 10 games um, and that was it. So sure. Walking into last year, I only had two players out of 18 that had any kind of on-field experience during conference play. That was it. So it was basically new to almost the entire team. So I found that it was difficult at first because no one had any idea what this looked like. And I had no idea what it was going to look like either because it was COVID. So it was us trying to figure this thing out together. Where do we start our push? Where do we experiment and then start going? And so... For me, being first year, and we're all, you know, fighting to keep our head above water sometimes during season when weather changes and injuries and this and that. So trying to figure out what this brand new COVID season looked like. When do we push the accelerator to get to that? Okay, now we're ready for that 600 percentage. All right, now we're ready for that 900 percentage. You know, so when does that happen in a year that we've never done it with a new team that has no idea what it looks like to play in college? Um, so it was definitely different. However, we just kept preaching, you know, it's about the conference tournament because that's what it comes down to, right? right? It comes down to number one, you got to get into that conference tournament because you got to be able to compete. And then number two, you have to win it to go on and that's it. So whatever lumps you take, take them, learn from them, grow. And I think as we kind of developed more into the season last year, we understood that a little more because at first, you know, our first games against South, we lost two games. To me, okay, I, I saw a lot. Awesome. Like, great. Yep, we lost two games. 
it's not a conference game. Right. But for them, oh no, like, oh no, we lost right. two games. What does that mean about our team? Now, what does it mean about our team? Yeah. What does it mean about the process that we've had? What right? does it mean like, about our coach that's yep. brand new? Are we going to lose every single game yep. this year? Like, what's going on? Like, here she is. She's leading us into a game. We lose our first two. You're telling us all this stuff, and we lost. Yep. Yes, but, right, just go through the process. Keep working through it. And I think as we went through the process, as we went through the process and saw other teams doing similar things, right, I think that helps, too. When you see that, okay, like other teams in our conference are playing tough opponents and losing and playing other opponents and winning. So they're on their roller coaster too. It's not just us. Um, so I think once you see other teams doing it too, like, okay, they're not undefeated either. And they're not right. undefeated. Like they're going through the same lumps we are and we're all headed towards the same place. Yeah. Um, so I think that certainly helps. And I think this year coming back with eight returners, I think the freshmen are a little more understanding what's happening because we have fantastic leaders and they've experienced it last year now. So they understand that you're going to go through your ups and downs, but where you are at the end is what's important, not where you start. Um, but until you actually experience that and you understand it, we can preach all day, right? We've been through this process enough times to know, uh, so what? Like we did this the first day. What does that mean about day whatever in the conference championship game? It means nothing. But for them, you know, it means a lot because they have no idea that this is what it's going to feel like all year until they actually go through it. So last year, going through a season, even if it was COVID, with a, a bunch of players that had never been through it before was certainly a new experience while trying to figure out myself what a COVID season looks like and getting shut down and starting back up and other teams getting shut down and things getting rescheduled. So it's it was an interesting experience. But, you know, I think that's why you work on your culture so hard so that when those difficult times hit, yep, we're going to bicker just like family. We're going to get sick of seeing each other just like family. But when push comes to shove and the hard times come, we have each other's backs. And I think that's beyond the skills. What we fight for the entire year is making sure when our back's against the wall, we are with each other. We're on a united front. So, yeah. Okay. So can I stay on the, on the idea of culture and kind of sticking with your, your season last year? So you get into the, the conference tournament. Mm -hmm. Where did you feel like your culture was at at that point? Did you feel like it was good? I felt it was really good. So leading up to that, right? So we had um, six games, so three doubleheaders in four days, which is a, happens a lot in the springtime because of the weather to decide, are we going to get it or not? Right? So we um, split with Northland on a Wednesday, got swept by Bethany on a Thursday, but all you can ask for to me at the end of the day is to have your fate in your own hands, mm -hmm. right? So whatever we do on Saturday is what decides. We don't have to sit after and watch other scores. Um, so if we went on Saturday and swept Martin Luther, then we get into the tournament no matter what, right? We're in absolutely. If we split, well, then we have to watch the different games and hope that somebody does something else and then we get in, right? You never want to do that. You want to control everything. So we basically had to go into um, Martin Luther and sweep. So I think not only was the weather gorgeous, it was like 80 degrees. It was the best day ever to play. I know it was so nice. Mm -hmm. um, so we went in there and took care of business. And I think once we took care of business and controlled our own destiny, that's when our team was like, okay, like we can do this. We're in. Like that's what we have been fighting for all year. Now let's just have some fun. You know, I quote the Carrie Underwood song, Jesus Take the Wheel. To me, 
That's what the playoffs are, mm-hmm. especially the way softball and baseball does it, right? So we just go Thursday, Friday, and Saturday straight through two games or three games a day, and there's no time in between to stop and reset. Right. So in my experience, there's never been a single thing I tell a kid in those three days that have ever helped them be a better player. It just gets in their head. So just have fun. Mm-hmm. You have fought since September 1st for this day on Thursday to get to actually play in this tournament. Just enjoy it. Yeah. Right. That's all you can do is enjoy it. Because at the end of the day, we're the five seed, right? So if you're the five seed, you're supposed to lose two and go home, right? On That's that right. You guys day, came in as the we five, came in as the five yeah. seed, right? So we just snuck in, mm-hmm. right? So you're just supposed to lose two and go home and everyone else is supposed to stay and enjoy and play. Um, but for us, we were just so comfortable with going in as like that cool, like underestimate us, please. Like, yeah. This is going to be so much fun. Because we knew that we were a better team than any of our stats could possibly show. Um, so for me, being the underdog as a team that has never experienced the playoffs before, as a new coach, was the absolute best way we could have gone mm-hmm. into it. Because the pressure's off. Mm-hmm. Anything we do is more than we're expected to do. And we get to be that person that gets to, like, destroy the tournament. Every time we win, like, we're wrecking it, right? They have to redo the bracket that you're not supposed to win. What are you doing? Um, so for us last year, where we were, that was the absolute best place we could have gone in. Did you feel like it was a kind of a constant build throughout the season to get the culture to that point? Or do you feel like there was like a kind of a hard switch at that point? I know you're saying yeah. all of a sudden it was kind of like, let's just go have fun, yeah. pressure's off. Yeah. But was that kind of the intention all the way along? Or was it kind of like, all right, we got in, yeah. now what? So... The most exciting and most terrible part of coaching, right, which I'm sure you'll agree with, is you have no idea what your team's going to need from season to season. You are, and it could be a two-week span. You're like, yep, like I need to coach this way because this is how we're getting results. And then two weeks later, you're like, okay, this isn't working anymore. Like, let's figure out something else. Um, So for us, I think that for coaches, we realize that we really need to take a step back and let them actually enjoy Number one, a college season because they missed it in 2020, right? Stop putting so much pressure on the fact that you have to win this game right now, no matter what. It's like, nope, like go and play. Like you really, we talked about fighting since September 1st. They've been fighting since March 2020 to get to play. Right. So I think for us as a coaching staff, at some point we realize us putting pressure on them is not helping our team get the results that we know that they can get. So what do we need to do? Um, And I do think it was after we got swept by Bethany, maybe, which is kind of crazy because normally losses don't do that. We basically had that conversation like, guess what? You still get to control your own destiny. So don't hit the panic button. You have to go on Saturday, beat a team that we've already beat, and you get in. And I think that helped kind of a, oh, like you've been talking about this in September. And this is all we have to do to be able to get in the tournament is to win two more games instead of, okay. Here's 14 games, like go out and win them all or else right. we might not get in. It was two more of a team we've already played that we kind of know what they can do. And that, I think, helped us as coaches that, okay, let's try this way now. This way isn't working. Let's see if this way works. And it did. And yeah. what that means for this year, I have no clue, right? I'll, again, talk to you next year about this again <laughs> and let you know what this year looks like. But Well, and we, we've talked about this before, Melissa, that, that, that is a big part of the fun of coaching, right? That it's, you know, my, my dad, who was a, was a coach for many years, always used to say, you're not coaching robots, right? And I think that's so true yeah. that it's like, we have this, this idea in our mind sometimes that it's like, well, this worked this year or this worked a week ago, yeah. so it's going to work now. It's like, well, no, the, the team dynamic is different. 
these players are in different mindsets. I mean, you may have the same team year to year, the exact same players, but if they've developed in different ways over the course of a year, it's you're not coaching the same team that you were last year. Yeah. You know, and then you think about seldom does that happen where it is the same players. There's going to be different, you know, players who have rolled off the roster, yeah. graduated, whatever. There's different leadership. There's mm-hmm. there's a different schedule in place. All your players are at different levels than they were last year. It's a whole brand new team. And this team might need something completely different than last year's team yeah. did. And I do think this team that we're discovering, right, so we're about a week and a half away from playing, needs the pressure put on them. Like, they need to know that they need to make these plays because we just have a different expectation now, right? Because they enjoyed the level they got to last year. However, that was nice last year, right? Do you want the same level year to year to year? No, you want to grow, right? So I just see the hunger, especially in our returners, to that, okay, like, we know what the national tournament's like. Now we want to get a win in the national tournament, uh, which is a good thing. So it's us now, okay, that loosey-goosey worked last year for this team. Well, this team has expectations that were higher than last year's team. So how do we coach this team with 14 freshmen, right? Because we have a lot of freshmen because we needed to have depth because last year, just seeing what happened with COVID, injuries and everything, we knew as coaching staff with recruiting that we were going to need more depth on our team. So brought in that depth. So now we're mixing 14 freshmen with eight returners that have an expectation to do what they did last year plus more. You know, which to me, good. That's what I want. I don't want a team to be satisfied with what they did last year. Like, good. Be happy with it for like a month. Like, you get all of May to like pat yourself on the back and enjoy it. June 1st, like, let's get going again. Right? Because last year was last year. Let's turn the page and let's, again, get to another place. So Okay, so here's an interesting dynamic to me. So when you think about something like an element like pressure, Mm -hmm. okay, and how a team, does a team need to feel that pressure or they need to feel like the pressure's off? Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's a lot of different elements that you kind of there's sort of like a like a dial that you're trying mm-hmm. to constantly find like the right balance for. You know, I think of you know uh, tactics. You know, uh, maybe it's the same in softball, different in soccer. I don't know, but like for us, when we look at tactics, it's like there have been teams where it's like they need more chalk talk. Mm-hmm. They need to be in the classroom more. They need mm-hmm. to see more video. Some of my teams have just needed to go out and play. Yeah. Like the more I fill their heads with this kind, of, you know. Not that we're ever not going to talk tactically, but too much can almost like just get in their heads, right? So that's another dial. I mean, there's a there's a ton of different elements. So then the question is, so kind of this this approach that you and I both seem like we're we're on the same level, where it's you're going to kind of experiment early on, okay? So let's let's take the element of pressure then, okay? So in the first couple of games, you you think this team needs more pressure, okay? So we're going to dial up that pressure a little bit early up and we're going to, we're going to state our expectations and have a higher standard in terms of pressure. Right. And let's say that, that, that you throw that at them and it doesn't work. Yeah. And then the question is, do we need to dial back the pressure or do we need to keep the pressure on so that they learn how to deal with it and cope with it and get, you know, sort of develop through it. And that one is to me, that's where a season could be, sort of made or broken where it's like, okay, we're going to try this. If it doesn't work, does it mean that that's not what this team needs or does it mean that they're just not ready for it and we need to do more of it so they can get ready? Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. And who knows until you try either way, right? I mean, it's, you don't know. And you go with your gut and sometimes your gut is right and sometimes your gut is wrong. And 
And you also surround yourself. I know you have an amazing coaching staff. Like I'm so spoiled with my coaching staff and they have their own experiences, whether it's coaching in youth or in high school or playing themselves. And you listen to what they think too, because they have an outside perspective. And I think that you talk to some of the coaches, whether they're up and down our athletic hallway, they have their own awesome experiences that you can definitely pull from. And your mentors from other places and just try to figure out what everyone is seeing and what they think. But at the end of the day, then you decide like, what can we do to get this team to continue to move forward? And sometimes you're wrong and you try for two days. You're like, okay, I am completely wrong. But I also think we talk about kids not being robots, right? Coaches aren't robots either. I think you have to build that dynamic that they have to appreciate that you are trying to put them in the best place to win. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. Just like they're not perfect, right? We're all in this together. So like, we are going to try as coaches to do whatever we think we can to help you win. Are we always correct? Absolutely not. Right. But it's coming from the best of intentions. They're also going to do everything they can to try to help the team win. Are they always right? No, but it's coming with the best of intentions. Right. So it's that combination. But you have to have that culture that they that coaches can fail. Players can fail, but we can still stick together. Mm-hmm. Right. Because as soon as we start bickering, it's over. Right. We cannot. And maybe for a minute or two, maybe for a practice, fine. But as soon as that goes beyond, I always say, once you fall asleep, it's over. Wake up the next day, come back with another plan. Right. You can bicker today, but we're not coming back and doing this again tomorrow. So we're going to sit right here and figure this out before we leave where we're at and what we need to do. Right. And sometimes, honestly, like not yet here, but on the youth level, especially um, I've taken full practices to literally sit and talk through stuff. And then mm-hmm. we play way better the next day, better than we ever would have if we actually practiced. So it's just using your gut, your experience, and just going for it. And then when you're wrong, just not being stubborn. Like, okay, like I thought of, this is how we're going to do it. I was so wrong. Let's backtrack. And then being okay with standing in front of your team. Like, listen, I did this, and I don't think that was the right thing. So that's on me, right? So yeah. here's what we're going to do now. Yeah. Okay, so we've mentioned the word culture a couple times here. If you could kind of sum up your team's culture or the ideal culture Mm -hmm. that you want your teams to operate in, how would you describe that culture? I think just go all out and run through a wall, right? Fail spectacularly, especially in the game of softball, a little different uh, than some sports because if you fail seven out of ten times, you're considered a really good player. Mm -hmm. That means you have a 300 batting average. So you have to fail seven out of 10 times. And it could take you three or four games to get to fail seven times. Sure. Right. Cause you only hit maybe two or three times in a game. And same thing, like for our pitchers, you could pitch your absolute heart out, but we could still lose because of an error in the field or right. because we didn't score a run. Right. So it's just going all out and then being okay. Right. That every day is not going to go perfectly as planned, but sticking together through it. Um, so there's no perfect culture. Like there's really not. It just depends on where you're at in the season, who your team is. And I think your culture needs to evolve as the season goes on too, right? It's Absolutely. not one thing. This is it. This is our team. This describes them. To me, it's okay. This describes our team at this part of our season. And then hopefully the next part of our season, this is going to describe our team. And then towards the championships, this is going to describe our team. And it's us trying to figure out how we can build that bridge to get our team from this place to the next place and then build that bridge from this place to the next place. Yeah. So. Uh, that's, that's really good. You know, and this is something I struggle with yeah. at times and, and I'm 14 years in now as a head coach, but I think of, you know, 
year to year. And that's such a good point about how your culture is going to evolve and that you, you don't necessarily need the same team culture on championship Saturday. Like that team culture may not be what's best on first day of preseason. Right. And how it's going to evolve. The, the trick that I'm trying to figure out and and I don't know if there is a, a magic, you know, solution out there, but it's like, how to, how to go from year to year. And again, so you, you're bringing a, a big core of players who were there last year. It sounds like this year, there's a lot of new players in yeah, your squad absolutely. and that's a whole different challenge in itself. But it's like, I look at it and say, okay, how do we, how do we reestablish that culture from the kind of from the ground up? We have all these players that, you know, they already understand the culture that we're trying to get to. So how do we start kind of from almost from scratch and sort of, you know, build the culture without being redundant. You know, I, I hate that, you know, I hate being redundant, you know. And so if we are in a, you know, in a team setting first couple of days and we're trying to explain all this stuff, it's like my seniors have heard this three times before and they're thinking like, why do we have to go through this? It's like, I almost feel like we can lose some buy-in that way, right? So trying to figure out that line of like, okay, what can we just kind of pick up where we left off? And what needs to be re-explained or even reevaluated and maybe take a different direction. And I always find it interesting talking to fall sports because you have to establish it so quickly. Like, especially when kids get here. I mean, you have three weeks before your first game. Two. Two we, we have 13 days. And then 13 we're going. days. Yeah. And then you're playing. So yeah. for me, I have a first semester and then usually five weeks to really establish our team and our culture. Yeah. So I always find it so interesting, which is why I love going to other sports and seeing the way coaches handle the team, because I learned so much from watching, right? Listening to other things, because something that fall sports does is something that I'm like, huh, I've never thought about that before. Like, that's so cool. But like, I want to learn it all. Like, I am such a student of like this coaching game as it evolves that I just find it so interesting to hear what the fall sports do to try to make their culture happen so fast because it's a slow burn for us, right? We have so much time that we come in the fall and it's tryouts, right? But you have five weeks. So you, to me, just try to establish like that team feel. So the freshmen feel comfortable, right? You want that, but also to help them understand what's happening. But I need to establish my leaders mm-hmm. right there. Because I need my leaders to basically run anything that they want to run between when we try out in the fall to when they leave first semester. Because I can't do anything except one week, one day a week I can do leadership. That's it. So it's really up to our leaders to continue that culture and build what they think the team needs. Right. And I have to support them because I can't be there. I can't help them grow that. So whatever culture they're building when we come back in the second semester, when we get to practice, I need to be on board with because they've worked so hard to get it where it is. Okay, cool. Love where it is. Now, what can us as coaches do to come in and help continue to push that? Absolutely. Um, But I am always so interested to hear what fall sports do, especially with those three days, right? Or those three, three a days to try to push that stuff. Because by the end of the day, you're doing classroom stuff, film or in the middle of the day, and it's long. So again, like, are those kids still there as we're like doing this stuff that they're like buying into what we're doing or are they already like done mentally and ready to go to bed? And again, that's going to change yeah. year to year yeah. and from player to player, yeah. it's going to change. Right. So, okay. So I love the, the idea, you know, you, you talked about your, your culture. It's kind of built around that idea of like failing mm-hmm. spectacularly. Yeah. 
And I think that's, that's spot on. I have a phrase that we use. I stole it from a different podcast of try, fail, fix, right? It. Yep. And it's, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I think what's so important in that, and this kind of ties into earlier in the conversation, you talked about how we as coaches aren't going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I talked about, we're going to make decisions yeah. that are going to impact us negatively. And I, I think I have to feel like I've got the space as a coach yeah. to make mistakes mm-hmm. and not be perfect. And, you know, trust me, like I'm going to rue those mistakes and I'm going to ruminate over them for hours and days. And Absolutely. I'm going to drive my family nuts because that's all I'm going to talk about. Right. Um, and so it's, it's not that I want to make mistakes, obviously, or, or fail, but I do feel like we have to have a culture where, where I can do that. And I think that it, it's an unrealistic, and this is something that I've kind of realized, you know, maybe more recently, I think it's unrealistic and unfair if I say to my players, well, you guys need to be perfect. Yeah. And when we talk about something, you need to execute this flawlessly. Right. But, but just be okay. Just know I'm going to make mistakes yeah. in, in what I do. Right. Like, I'm, How, not, I'm above you. I can do what I want right. to do, but you are going to do completely right. different. Yeah, uh, It's like, it's like, I'm the adult here. Mm-hmm. I'm the professional here. I'm the only one here who's getting paid to mm-hmm. do this. Right. And I'm going to say, but I don't have to be perfect, but you all do. No way. Like that culture has to be, again, not that we don't have high expectations and that the, the goal is to do things flawlessly mm-hmm. to get enough reps where we, we can do it, you know, without thinking about it with, we can do it in our sleep and it's, you know, it's all going to go perfectly. Sure, that's the goal, but to understand that that's not the process, Mm -hmm. that the process is going to be, we are going to fail. And when we do, we're going to work on solving that. And that in the moment, it's going to suck. It's, you know, we're going to hate losing, Mm -hmm. but it's not going to leave a good feeling, you know, for us. We're going to lose sleep that night thinking about how to make it better. But that's the point, right? That we're constantly working on trying to solve those problems. So we can become the best, you know, it's cliche, but become the best version of ourselves. Of course. And I do think you have to separate the physical and the mental mistakes, right? Because like a physical mistake is going to happen. Look at the highest level of any sport and they make physical mistakes. So again, we're looking at our kids being like, yeah, like the highest level makes mistakes, but you cannot make a mistake. Yeah. That's really realistic. Like holding kids, those unreal expectations, like then they're afraid to even do anything, you know, right. but right. to me, limit those mental mistakes. We should know how many outs there are. We should know where we're throwing the ball right before the pitch goes. Those are the mental mistakes that we kind of more talk about. Cause I expect physical, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to strike out sometimes, right? You're going to throw the ball away. We're going to let the ball go under our glove. And to me, sometimes I'm captain obvious and like I do it. I'm like, Oh, I don't need to tell them they made a mistake. They know it. Right. No one likes captain obvious, but us as coaches like want so bad to like, coach that sometimes we step in it which it's reality but like they know when they make a mistake right they know when there's a perfect shot that they miss that shot like no one needs to tell them that they made a mistake but mentally right when we make mistakes that's the stuff that we need to clean up because we control that and i think to some extent the process is the same in terms of developing the mental aspect versus the physical aspect the process of evaluating and correcting is the same right so like it's there will be mental mistakes and it's looking at those and saying, okay, why did that happen? Same thing. So a a physical mistake, you know, I I scooped the ball up and I threw it to first base and I just overthrew it. Right. Why did that happen? Well, you know, where were my feet set? And I don't know all the mechanics of softball. Right. But like, I'm assuming, you know, where my feet set was my, my arm position this way that I have it lined up, you know, take yourself through it. 
Same thing with a mental mistake. Okay, so I didn't realize there were, you know, I thought there were two outs. There was only one out. Okay, so let's go back now and think about what happened mentally that you made that mental error. What was your preparation like going into the game? What was your sleep like the night before, right? What was, what were you doing in classroom when we talked about this kind of stuff? You know, when we had, uh, you know, run-throughs at practice, might be situational stuff where there is one out or two outs or whatever it might be. Were you dialed in at that point and did you replicate that on game day? So it's, again, it's, it's not that you, you do want to be more perfect in that sense, but I do think there's going to be mistakes made. And then again, it's the same process of why did that happen and how can I change it so it doesn't happen again? Yeah. And I think ownership too is important, right? Just like when we make physical mistakes, I think when, especially in softball, because we do have people right next to us that play next to us, to me now we need to take care of each other. Right. So as a third baseman, you need to make sure that your shortstop is good, knows how many outs there are like we need to communicate with each other to help each other out. Because, yeah, like if she just made error, right, and threw the ball away in a perfect world, she shakes it off. It's no big deal. She's got in her own head in a typical world. Someone might still be holding that. And now they don't realize, OK, like the situation changed. There's one out now instead of two outs. So for us, we need to take care of each other because we're standing so close to each other. We need everybody on the field to do their job just because the shortstop fielded it. If the second base isn't covering second base, it makes no difference. We can't get that out, right? So we have to rely on each other and take care of each other to make sure that then we're all going to our goals. So you don't, you can't just worry about yourself. So me mentally, when we make a mistake, now I'm also talking to the team, right? Are we checking in with our person standing next to us? Or are we just worried about ourselves? Yeah. Right? Let's just not be worried about ourselves. Let's worry about our teammate that's sitting next to us to make sure they're on the same page as us. So. Well, I think, okay, so when we look at individually and then as a team, yeah. I think there's different, to me, there's different pillars that we're trying to train. And so I always think of like individually, yeah. there's kind of three pillars. It's sort of the skill, mm-hmm. okay? So that's, you know, your your ability. It's, it's your technical ability with your, or proficiency within the sport, your tactical awareness, that kind of thing. It's, you know, what you do basically play in the game. Then there's the physical pillar, which is just, you know, are you bigger, faster, stronger, more agile, uh, quicker, you know, all that stuff, right? That's the physical element. That's you training in the weight room or getting runs in or, or whatever it might be, okay? And then there's the mental, and that's can you deal with adversity? Um, do you have confidence? You know, there's there's a whole bunch of things that go into the mental pillar, right? Then, <clears throat> so I look at those. Those are the three things you can train as an individual. Then I talk to our team about there's kind of, it's, I look at it as there's kind of like five pillars to the team. So it's ability comes back into play. Are we technically good enough to do this? Or, you know, if we play against this team, they're yeah. just way better at soccer than we are. Okay, that's a pillar we need to work on and develop, right, as a team. Then there's a the tactical. Do we understand? Are we, are we playing the same system? All that, right? Um, and are we doing that proficiently? There, there is a mental pillar to the team as well, and we're going to always work on that, okay? Um, and then there's, oh, I'm losing my train of thought. What's the fourth one? Well, I'll get to the fifth one, all right? And maybe someday or at some point I'll come back to the fourth one. The, the one I think you're talking about is sort of the chemistry one. Oh, that's exactly what I was going to say, the chemistry, right? yeah. And I think sure. that's so important, and yeah. we have to work on that as a, mm-hmm. as a team, right? Doesn't it? And I'm sure it's the same. I'm interested to know in soccer. So for us, we can have, just because, like, our top nine players – are the best per position does not mean we're the best team when every 
one of our best players is on that field. Like chemistry wise, like to me, and again, I'm really interested to know about soccer. It's not necessarily who is the best person for that individual spot. It's who plays the best together. I, I think it's, and I'm sure any coach of any yeah. sport would say it's, it's more pivotal in their sport. Mm-hmm. I think because soccer is so free flowing, there aren't stoppages really within the game. That makes it like it, the chemistry piece of it is so important. And it really does become, it's not about the, you know, the 11 best players out there. It's about the best 11. It's about the, you know, forming the best unit. And, you know, we talked to guys about this, you know, if you're not starting over this player, it might not be because he's better than you. It might, you might be the better overall soccer player, but we need this role filled. He's better at filling that role around those 10 players than you are. And that's, you know, that's a reality that it can be hard, you know, sometimes to take, but it is a reality that it's not about finding just, you know, evaluating saying these are the, you know, the 11 best players or in your sport, the nine best players. It's okay. How can we really get this thing to work as a full unit? And that's again, part of the fun of coaching, right? And that's that try and fail part of it. Right. Because I mean, for us, at least we can kind of sub people in and out for you. Once people sub, if I remember correctly, in the first half, they're done. They can't Correct, go back yeah. in. And then they can go in and out one time in the second half. Right. Yep. So for me, I have a little more of a decision-making process, especially bringing having more depth right on my roster, which is really nice because I know sometimes it's just not a kid's day. Like they have everything else in the world going on or they're just not there today, whatever the reason is. That's okay, right? Like, we'll put someone else in that spot. But for you, then it's debating, okay, like, is it time to pull this kid out? And then, I mean, you guys have to deal with minutes and how many minutes you put on a body and all of that. For us, I mean, thankfully for softball, pitching is a the more natural thing, right? So for right. us, if you don't have a good pitcher, the rest of everything else, that's really tough, right? It's yep. kind of like a goalie for you. Yep. Your team could be phenomenal. You can score 10 goals a game. But if you're giving up 11, doesn't matter that you're scoring 10, right? So for us, scoring team, 10 goals sounds really nice. Giving up 11 does not sound that great. Does not sound yeah. nice. That was a rough day. <laughs> um, so for us, like, great. We score 10, we hit 10 home runs. Well, guess what? The other team hit 15 because we don't have pitching. Right. So, like, there's that one position that you need more than anything. And we don't necessarily have to worry, unlike baseball, about innings that we're putting on. Right. Because as long as they're in somewhat okay physical shape, their body should be able to do the pitching motion. So you're saying kind of like the pitcher is sort of like the linchpin here. And we're going to kind of like, we're going to kind of build the rest of it around that. So if we're we're looking at where Mm -hmm. does that dynamic start and we're going to have to start filling positions that complement that position, that's the starting position. 100% because every pitcher has a different strength, right? So if my pitcher pitches her best inside, well, guess what? My left side of the field needs to be phenomenal. So that I need to focus on that because the pitch should go there the most. And if she's a good drop ball pitcher, well, guess what? Like my catcher needs to be the best blocker because there's a lot of balls in the dirt. Um, So it's figuring out what we have pitching wise, because without a pitcher, you can't do anything. Right. So we have our pitcher. Right. And then we need to build based on what our pitcher needs to be able to succeed. Because if our pitcher succeeds, that usually means that the team won. Right. Now, a pitcher can throw a no-hitter and still lose because of an error. I mean, and there's those rough loss games that you just have to shake it off. And we've all had that, right? The team plays phenomenal and just, like, there was that one spot that was open on the goal that they somehow hit. And it's yeah. just like, that's a tough loss. Like, yeah. we didn't do anything wrong. Like, it is what it is. Like, there, that's a game that you just have to shake. But it happens. Yep. 
Um, but if we can't get it right in the circle, it's really hard to get it right anywhere else on the field. So it kind of comes back to that spot right there. And then to me, trying to build chemistry on a field works out from that spot sure. first. That makes sense. All right, there's so much that I wanted to get to. And I, like we're just going to like, have you back on at some point because there's a bunch that is untouched that I want to get to. Um, but we got to kind of wrap up. So before we do, though, just curious, you know, kind of like what are you – what are your expectations for this year? Yeah. And we've talked about, I mean, kind of like, you know, again, we'll talk to you in a yeah. year after yeah. the fact, right? But I'm curious, you know, I mean, so after winning the, the, the tournament last year, you guys were ranked, what, third in the preseason, yeah. right? Do you feel like you're the, the third best team? Do you feel, I'll, I'll just leave yeah. that, that question open-ended. What are your expectations? I'm thrilled we're ranked third because I think that there's nothing more dangerous than giving a team fire and energy, right? So I would rather be ranked third preseason than first any day. So I am thrilled and my team is so upset that they're, yeah. and I love that. I'm like, good, love yeah. it. Like they think that you are the third best. Like, and what, what does do your you team think? I mean, so you, do yeah. they think that they're, that they're that they should have been ranked higher. They're confident. They Love think that. that they won last year, and now that makes them the team to beat, which is exactly where I want them to be. Yeah. Right. I mean, and for me, we have three basketball players, right? So they play a tournament game tonight, and hopefully, they win a national championship. I tell them that all the time. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to set goals for our team until our entire team is back together. Sure. Because that's not fair. Right. How can you have people play other sports? You're setting goals without them. Be like, OK, like these are the goals you're expecting right. to be on the team with. Um, I'm just here to steer the ship wherever they want to go. So if their goal is to get to a national tournament, I'm going to try my absolute best to do that for them. Our goal last year was to take a trip to Omaha because um, it changed last year. But I think it's going back this year. The national tournament was supposed to be in the same place that the D1 tournament is always in. So all the games they get to watch on TV, that's where the D3 tournament was supposed to be played last year. I do think because of COVID that changed. So that was their goal last year. I hope it's even more this year, right? So whatever the team decides, their goal is going to be, I can't set that for them. That's up to them. They're the ones that actually do it. Mm -hmm. I'm just here to help steer in the direction that they kind of want to go and push them to get to their goal. So to be determined, if I know my team, like I think I know my team, last year their goal was to get to a tournament. My hope is that their goal this year is to win that tournament because if you're not fighting to win a championship every year, well, what are you putting in the work for? Right. Right? Like, uh, yep, there's one winner every single year. Shouldn't you want that to be you every single time? Like, if you're not trying to compete to this level, what are we doing? Well, and, it is, and I think people get confused at times because I think you can look at that and say, well, that means that we're saying that it's, you know, either a, a national championship or bust. It's not that, yeah. but it should still be our goal, yeah. right? That, you know, and we, and there will be failures mm -hmm. and we may fall short of our goal. Yeah. But if, if all we're doing is just going to like compete in a, in a sense of like, we're only going to do this if we know we're going to win it all. Yeah. Let's not competing either. Mm -hmm. Like, man, this could be a whole separate yeah. topic, a whole nother podcast. Yeah. But like, I agree with you hundred percent that that should be the goal. And it doesn't mean that it's all or nothing, but we're gonna we're gonna approach it like it is. Yeah. And after the season, if we don't if we don't if we're not the last team standing, yeah. we can look back and evaluate and say, okay, was it a you know was it a complete failure or did we still take a lot out of it? And can we say we were successful in these ways? Yeah. Let's let's do that at that point. But right now, let's burn the ships and let's go for it. Yeah, and I mean that's a reach goal. And then you have your goals as you get to that point, right? You want to host the UMAC tournament, right? That's a goal that is reachable right now that you yep. should be able to do that. 
you want to win the tournament. You need to win a regional. You need to win a super regional. So there's goals that you need to accomplish as you get closer. So yeah, maybe we only accomplished four of our goals. So we didn't get to that reach goal. Okay, but we accomplished four this year. Can we accomplish five next year? Yeah. Right. Can we accomplish six? Can we get to that goal eventually? Right. You got to have that reach goal. Otherwise, you pat yourself on the back and what are you working for all summer? I did it. I don't have to work anymore. No, Absolutely. no, 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 no. You are not. Ne- you never did it until you did it. So. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, this has been an awesome conversation. Like I said, there's so much more I want to get into at some point. So we'll have you back. Maybe after the season, we'll let you kind of do your thing now. Um, but thank you so much for coming on. This, like I said, was just a, a terrific conversation. Yeah. I love it. Absolutely. Looking forward to the next one. Awesome. Well, good luck this season, Coach. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right.